Your photo is so amazing. You look like a retired yoga teacher or you a guy who's teaching yoga in retirement, I should say. That was a good day in <laughs> India, no less. Yeah. In India. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a, a good. That's a whole pilgrimage. different. That's a whole different. That's, you had a pilgrimage a, even. Oh, that is a whole different podcast episode. That's a whole different <laughs> podcast. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I should change this over. Who wants to talk about content strategy anyway? I mean, really. Hello, once again, and welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I am your host, Christina Halverson. I have sort of an extraordinary human being, I'm not going to lie to you. On today's podcast, I'm going to tell you all about him, and then I'm going to let him tell you more about himself. Uh, I would like you all to please meet Mr. Mark McCormick. Mark is a retired customer experience leader living in San Francisco, California. Mark spent 20 years at Wells Fargo, uh, where he landed as senior vice president of customer experience. He managed large teams working on online and mobile banking, but his legacy there was more likely sealed with two late career projects, the Simplicity Project and Operation Empathy. Mark now teaches yoga, writes, and has an executive coaching practice. Mark, welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to be here. I am super thrilled to have you here, and I can't wait. We're not going to do it up front, but I can't wait for the reveal about how we met and the role that you have played in the history and legacy of the discipline of content strategy. But first, a thing that I ask all of my guests right up top is that they share with me their journey through their career, in your case, as uh, landing in senior vice president of customer experience as well as Fargo, fancy pants. Uh, but let's start. I think that you wanted to start a um, little bit back at the beginning. So why don't you kick that off for us? Oh, gosh. Thanks, Christina. Um, yeah. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, when did this all start, this content strategy journey? And I said, you know, to be really honest, I had to go all the way back to high school. And <laughs> I know, so give me a moment. Um, and I promise I'll, I'll get up to date quickly. But when I was in high school, I joined the yearbook team as a junior in high school. And I think I became copy editor chief or something like that. And um, then my senior year, I was editor in chief. And, you know, I spent so much time on copy and I was already sort of thinking I was going to be an English major. And I just knew about I just cared about the the copy, whereas everybody else seemed to care about print and or I mean, photos and design, which I did care about those things, too, a lot. But I put a lot of thought and effort into content. And then I went on to become an English major and I worked through college in managing, working in bookstores and then managing bookstores. And then I was managing bookstores and I realized I wanted to be closer to the way books were made. And so I landed a job in publishing. I wanted to be editor and agent and I wanted to work in fiction. But what I got was a job working in sales and then eventually editorial in academic publishing for a textbook publisher called Addison Wesley Benjamin Cummings. Now, this goes, I'm very old. So this is, you know, the 80s we're talking about. But late in my career there, the idea of new media was just starting and the state of the art, and you have to go to the Museum of Technology to see one of these, the state of the art was an interactive laser disc. 
And that looked like a giant CD-ROM that you plugged into this player and it whirled around and you could punch in numbers and it was kind of the first hypertext in a way. And then you could go to different sections of the CD-ROM. And I worked with a team and we produced a CD-ROM. I was a nursing editor and we produced a CD-ROM called Infection Prevention and Control for Nurses. And that went on to win some awards. And at the awards conference and ceremony in New Orleans, I met a guy named Robert May, who had a company called Iconic Interactive in San Francisco. So I went all the way to New Orleans to meet somebody from San Francisco where I was already living. And I convinced him to give me a job. I was so excited by what I saw. And he said, well, I can give you a job for a few months as a producer on a couple of projects, but that's all I can guarantee. So I left my career of six years in academic publishing to go work for him. And this is when it all started because I immediately noticed that this new media and at that time state of the art was had advanced to CD-ROMs. And I was working on a project for Inc. Magazine on how to do your own small business plan and things like that, how to create your marketing plan. And I was just noticing that in this new media, people were thinking about content last. Now, so remember, I go all the way back to bookstores, to publishing, and I was like, wait a minute, we're just going to copy and paste in the content? And then the answer was yes, because the industry was enthralled with technology and to some degree design. Content was definitely an afterthought. I was appalled by this, and I realized that what we had was a whole new content information delivery system, and we needed to actually think about content first, not second or third or last. And I'm sorry, and so can that, you do, what year was this again? So I started working at Iconic Interactive in 1993. Okay, so 30 years ago. All right, can yeah. you go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so thanks. And so I started thinking about content and started thinking about content in a strategic way as a strategic asset. And that will become a theme on our conversation today. And I started developing an approach to thinking about content first. And, and I had a good group of people. They were a great team and they were sympathetic designers and technologists. And they were all like, yeah, we get it. You know, we don't want to just copy and paste in the content. So how are we going to do this? And so then I started articulating my thoughts about what I called content development at the time. And, and then it became content strategy. But that kind of gets you up to date and or that gets you to the early days anyway. And now we can talk about, you know, what happened after that and the, the white paper and everything else. The reason I interrupted you to ask what year that was is that what you were describing is actually what people complain about in content strategy and content design every single day in 2023. <laughs> so once we get to the other side of why you and I met in the first place, I'm going to want to talk about that a little bit because I it is stunning and also hilarious to me that this remains a challenge in uh, the field of technology and experience design. And I know you and I have plenty of thoughts about why that is. But mm -hmm. before we talk about that, let's talk about this sort of watershed activity slash slash idea that you participated in and spearheaded in the late 90s. Okay. Okay. You mean the white paper? I do mean the white paper. The Let's talk about white the paper. white paper. <laughs> yes. The apocryphal white paper that not enough people know about, but that we're right. going to change that here pretty soon. Right. Yes. Thank you. And I'm so glad we're finally talking about this and that um, it's going to find a home. <laughs> with you, Christina, because there's no one I trust with this more than you. So the way this happened was I started writing down thoughts about this. 
And I went to Robert May as well. And I said, you know, by that time, CD-ROM was, was it was still happening, but the, the web hit during that period of time, the web, the internet hit as a, as a business platform and a business model. And people were flocking to San Francisco to get, you know, businesses from all over the world were flocking to San Francisco to get uh, their projects done. And we were doing work for Boeing, for Disney, the Wall Street Journal, the very first interactive edition of the Wall Street Journal called the Personal Journal. I was a producer on and it was done for Palm Pilot. That was the platform. And these, you think about Disney, think about the Wall Street Journal. These are content rich companies. Content is their business. And I went to Robert May and I said, you know, I do believe that if we could articulate this idea of content strategy, it would be a defining um, what's a strategic advantage over other consulting companies who are going after the same business. And I said, I think we could call it content development. And later somebody, uh, a person who will remain nameless for reasons I'll explain in a moment, said, no, it should be called content strategy. And he's like, great, fantastic. He was up for anything that could be a competitive advantage. And so I said, well, I'm going to articulate what I mean by this so that we can show it to potential customers. And I'm going to write a white paper. White papers were big in those days, the points of view. And he said, go for it. And so I spent really months, maybe even a couple of years. I, I looked back. I have metadata on early drafts of this that take it all the way back to about 1996 when we really started writing things down. Now, there was one person and I've asked her if I could use her name. And she said, no, Mark, you know, um, because she works for a company now where she'd have to go to their PR department and get permission to use her name. She helped me with early drafts. And she said, and her main contribution was, I was calling it content development. And she goes, that's not sexy. You need to call it content strategy. So in the very first um, paragraph of the what became called the Unified Theory of Content Development for the Web, the very first paragraph, the first page, you'll see that we we call it content strategy. And so we wrote it and wrote it and wrote it, and then it became more and more and more defined, and it grew and grew and grew because we realized we were also kind of creating a cookbook or a recipe book or a guide or, you know, no one had ever articulated um, a process sort of articulated the roles and what the roles could be in content strategy, as well as a process. There was a lot of process definition going on at that time. Sarah Orlov Corey and different people, we were, we were writing a lot of process documents, but no one had really done that for content strategy specifically. So yeah. And so we wrote it and we sent it to help. It helped us get customers, but more importantly, it became kind of a field guide or a field manual for content strategists themselves so that they could articulate and execute on a on an approach that was repeatable and you know executable and efficient and all of that so tell me changes then that you saw in your relationships with your clients at that time well i think the main thing was that they saw that we took content seriously and that their content would be protected and cared for and more importantly that it was seen could be seen as a strategic asset and so again these are an intellectual property of some of these companies was their content and so they were sort of glad that somebody was taking seriously the idea that content well the slogan we came up with was content drives form 
not the other way around. And we would say that in pitch meetings, we would say that to clients and they would sort of come alive. Content drives form, not the other way around. What does that mean? That means that how we think about content and the affordances to the, to the content, the primacy of content, the structure of content, the relative importance of this content versus that content, that would drive the form of the experience, not the experience first, and then, well, whatever content supports that. Sort of like McLuhan's The Medium drives the message, but in a more practical way. Does that make sense? Oh, my heart is racing. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, you're preaching to the the choir right here. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, to all of our listeners as well. Their hearts are also racing collectively. Uh, <laughs> we made t-shirts, Christina. They're somewhere. I've got one somewhere. Content drives form. Not, and then on the back, it said, not the other way around. <laughs> you have a t-shirt? <laughs> yes, we made t-shirts. All right, you've got to dig that out and model it. And uh, we will put that photo in the show notes. Please tell me that will happen. <laughs> I don't know if I can find that, but I'll try. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, maybe I'll make some new ones. That's incredible. <laughs> so, okay. So let's fast forward then to your career at Wells Fargo, because I think that this is, you know, having you land at a major or enterprise organization with this fundamental appreciation for content as a business asset, that was a rarity, even at that time. I mean, it, frankly, it still kind of is now, believe it or not. But talk to me about the journey that you had, because you were kind of the first person calling yourself a content strategist at Wells Fargo. Is that right? Or did you come to the table with other folks? Oh, no, uh, not by Wells Fargo. So there was an interims. Iconic Interactive, I don't know if you remember, the late 90s was a period of a lot of mergers and acquisitions in the internet consulting space. Oh, I was so, still I was still trying to figure out theater at that time. I I <laughs> I came I came to the internet late. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Well, yeah. it was a crazy time. It was a wild time because companies were buying companies and merging and that kind of thing because the business was it was just booming. It was one of the big business booms in San Francisco. This is a boom and bust town. And that was, that was a big boom. And so it was fiercely competitive to get anybody, any talent at all. I had two or three different offers on the table about midway through my career at Iconic Interactive to go with bigger firms that started springing up. And Iconic got acquired by US Web and then US Web got acquired by, um, I want to say, Sapien? I'm not really sure. That's when I left and I joined Scient. So it was Scient and Studio Archetype and Razorfish and Organic and Sapient, I think. Might have. Yeah, Scient. Anyway, they were like the big five of these internet consulting companies. So when I went to Scient and I was there for two or three years and I was a managing director of content strategy, by that time, different companies were starting to get the, were starting because then people from Iconic US Web went other places and were starting their content strategy groups. And so we had a very robust content strategy group at uh, Scient where I was for two and a half years before Wells Fargo. And I went from being managing director of content strategy there to being managing director of customer experience. And not, not the only one, there were several of those. And that's where really, and this is the one of the main points I want to make today, that's where 
I sort of proved that content strategy leaders could be customer experience leaders. And I really want to emphasize that point because then most customer experience leaders up to that point, and we still see this, but most were from design backgrounds. I got really tired of hearing design leaders saying they had classical design training, classical design background, which is, it's great. That's nice, but it didn't didn't have to have that to be a customer experience leader, especially, as I said, if you consider the primacy of content and that it was just as important as in, in those days, information architecture, user experience design, visual design. So yeah, so then two and a half years and then the big dot bomb happened. And then for eight months or so, everybody in this town was unemployed. And then after why riding that wild ride through Iconic and Scient, and building teams and building bigger and bigger and bigger teams, you know, from like teams with like a few people or a dozen people to hundreds and hundreds of people and everything crashed to the ground. And then eventually I was seeking security. And then I went to Wells Fargo and right away at Wells Fargo, I was managing a small customer experience team, a group, or I think maybe it was content strategists and information architects. And then quickly I got promoted to managing a customer experience team. And then that was the end of the pure content strategy part of my career, if that makes sense, that it was just managing customer experience teams. So let's take a couple of steps back if we can, because something that you said really, really resonates, which is that you were able to prove out the fact that someone who was primarily focused in content and content strategy could transition into customer experience leadership. How did you make the case for that? What happened? Who did you have to influence? What did you have to demonstrate? Talk to me a little bit about that process. Yeah. So when I was working with Sarah Ortloff Corey, uh, Sarah Ortloff at the time at Iconic, and with some other super talented front-end developers, visual designers, information architects, and uh, user experience folks, and we were all codifying and articulating customer experience process in general, that's when the light bulb sort of came on that the leader of the customer experience function could come from any one of those disciplines. It just meant that you had to understand all of the disciplines and how they interacted with each other. And that was the big breakthrough. So, you know, it's funny because we wouldn't say to a person with a design background who was heading a customer experience team, well, what are your content strategy credentials? But we say to content strategy leaders who are managing a customer experience team, what are your design credentials? You know what I'm saying? So the truth is that you needed to be a sort of generalist about all of them. Now, I did sort of almost minor in art in college. I felt like I had credibility with designers because even now, you know, I, I, I paint and I draw, I, I was very passionate about design as well. And I think that that helped, but most importantly, you had to be able to be, I guess it goes all the way back to being an editor of the yearbook. You had to be able to orchestrate all the specialty functions, if that makes sense. So when you were then at Wells Fargo, you stepped in and sort of took over management of this small team of content strategists and then advanced very quickly in your career there. When you were senior vice president, can you estimate or remember about how many content strategists you you all had sort of functioning on a team? 
Yeah, well, that was a while ago um, when I was managing the retail side of that. So I'm going to say um, at its peak, you know, and spread across retail and wholesale at least. And then there are other teams too. I've got to say 40, 50, upwards of 100 spread across all teams. That's a lot of content strategists. And yeah. a challenge that folks have even today, and that's, I'm I'm sitting here smirking because everything that you're talking about, you know, is are conversations that people have every single day today in 2023, which I'm not sure if people are laughing or sobbing right now. It's mm-hmm. or both. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about amongst your peers as you sort of gained more influence and were promoted, you know, through the ranks at Wells Fargo, how were you able to continually sponsor and champion and demonstrate the value and importance of content strategy with your other experience design peers? Well, you know, I had super supportive leadership. Sachel Watson, who hired me, she got it. She was from a business background. Nancy Dickinson at Scient. So I don't think it was, it wasn't that hard ultimately because I think the main thing was making sure that the content strategists saw themselves as professionals, peers to all of their all the other design professionals, and then arming them with the right tools and techniques and approaches so that they could be taken seriously and they had a lot of credibility, you know. So I was super selective, and we should talk about this in the hiring process for content strategists. I think over time, people just sort of got it. There's a lot of content on the Wells Fargo website, a lot of deep content on financial planning, on retirement, on insurance, on all kinds of financial topics. And so it didn't take very much convincing with our business partners, very much convincing to let them, to help them understand that the content was just as important as anything. So I think it was a lot to do with um, hiring the right people and giving them the tools and techniques. One of the things that we have chatted about is your process of interviewing content strategists who are applying Mm -hmm. to work with you. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up because I really do want to talk about that. So after I articulated the sort of roles of the content strategist in the white paper, as well as the processes of a content strategist in the white paper... And then started thinking about that more deeply. And then also when you started writing, Christina, and you started building frameworks, after I sort of realized that there were frameworks for how a person could talk about content strategy, I started sort of expecting that from content strategy candidates that came through. So one of the questions that I would ask content strategy candidates is for them to articulate what content strategy was. And it was important to me that that they had been thoughtful about a process because I knew that they were going to get asked that question by their business partners or by clients um, when they were sitting in the room at kickoffs and down, you know, during the project, during the phases of the project. Well, what is content strategy anyway? What are you going to do for me? And it was very important to me that they could articulate some process. And so 
I would actually warn the content strategy candidates coming in a lot of times, like, I'm going to ask you this question, you know, so I hope that you will have an answer. And as all I wanted them was to come in with some sort of answer. I wanted them to articulate a process. And one of the processes that I started sort of explaining to people which, that they could use is like this, who, this is different than the process described in the white paper, but was a who, what, where, when, why, how, and how much of content strategy. So content strategy would consider who is going to create the content. What is the content going to be? Where is it going to live? How is it going to be organized? Why was a big question. Why are we creating this content? How is it going to support the brand? Where is it going to live in content management systems and that sort of thing? How was it going to get created? Are we going to syndicate it? Were we going to create it ourselves? Were we going to license it? What were we going to do? Then how much of each type of content was there going to be? So that's a journalistic model. They look at who, what, where, when, why, how, and how much in, in writing stories, but applied to content strategy. It asks different questions, but it was at least a framework. And then you came along with your framework, which I respected very much. So then I was like, well, there's at least, there's a couple different frameworks out there. Anyway, so that was became my sort of technique or the way I would think about interviewing content strategists. I think that that's still so legitimate. And I think that frankly, every, I think, content strategist should be asked at this time because we've seen such a, I think this is a real era of claiming all of the different specializations and fields of practice within this sort of larger discipline of content strategy, which I know is a little bit academic, but I think it's the easiest way to look at it. Um, we at Brain Traffic have really started talking about web content strategy for websites and enterprise content strategy, which is, you know, sort of orchestrating and synthesizing processes and standards um, across an organization, across an enterprise in particular, an organization. We have the evolution of content design, which is largely focused in product and product design. We have content engineering, which is, you know, largely looking at how we structure content for management, reuse, personalization, et cetera, across different channels and platforms. So I think it's so critically important now more than ever to really recognize those different areas of specialization so that we can continue to understand how they work together and how we depend on one another and how important it is for us each to be able to have, like you said, those informed conversations with our peers in all of these different parts of uh, an organization. So I really appreciate that you kind of hit home on content strategists coming through the door. Talk to me about how you talk about your practice because you're not only going to be expected to show your work, but you're also going to be expected to speak coherently about your activities and how and where they add value within within the organization. And I will say, you know, that's your great contribution, Christine. Like, you know, what you just described about those areas of specialization, I think that's super relevant. And that came you know, that's beyond what I did. So, and that's because the the discipline, largely because of your great work with your conferences and your books, because you were able to take it to the next level. So kudos to you and to all of the people who have been, you know, working to define those uh, specializations, because yes, we need to be able to 
to talk about it. And, you know, back before we had specializations and when you came to, I'll never forget the day you came to my office and interviewed me and you were working on your great model, which was workflow governance structure and substance, as I recall, um, the people components, the content components. You know, when I discovered that, then I would start putting that in front of content strategists and I'd say, here's another great model. Just be sure you can articulate a model and an approach for content strategy. And I believe that, yeah, like, like you're saying, have to be able to define your, to articulate your specialty and you have to be able to articulate your approach. Well, I, I want to say thank you for all of the kind words that you're saying about my work. And I want to say definitively that a lot of my work was simply curating and synthesizing (laughs) the work of so many others before me. Uh, Jerry McGovern Mm. was talking about content and content strategy in the late 90s. Anne Rockley came to us with her book, Managing Enterprise Content, Unified Theory of Content Strategy. And I always screw up the subtitle. And then Karen McGrain was talking about content Mm -hmm. strategy and doing that at her work at, you know, what became Razorfish. And so really the 2008, 2009 timeframe, which is when I, and let's be real, I sort of stalked you uh, and Mm -hmm. flew myself out to San Francisco (laughs) to (laughs) interview you and a couple of other folks. That was all really just, really just sort of like curating and sleuthing and figuring out, you know, the smart, useful, incredibly kind of groundbreaking things that people had been talking about for a decade and that you had been so early to, um, you know, yourself sort of synthesize and codify what this practice was. And then over the years, I have, a lot of my work has been hosting these conferences and getting people on this podcast to be able to lift up their work. And that is, I think, what has truly helped the field to evolve is the many, many, many folks who have shared their work over the years. So thank you. And it, it, I, it wasn't just me. <laughs> there was a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of people involved. Well, that's what a um, good content strategist does. Synthesis is one of the functions that I talk about in the white paper as being a primary function of content strategy. So you were doing that. Well, and do you want to talk through a little bit about the the major sections of the white paper and which which I yeah, again quickly, let me be clear when I got a hold of that and I can't even uh, to this day I can't even remember exactly how it fell into my hands. Somebody sent me the PDF. I'm pretty sure it was no, somehow I, through. Oh, do you remember? I think I gave it to. I mean, I think I gave you a copy. I, I thought I did in the office that day. I mean, I pulled it off my shelf, blew off the dust. You know. And oh I my said, gosh. This, I think that I gave it to you. Well, I, mean, I think I so, Karen, I'm, I know yeah. Karen McGrain pointed me in your direction because she had uh-huh. she had connected with you somehow. And I knew that you were really, you know, had really led the integration of content strategy throughout the enterprise of Wells Fargo. And you were you were really the only sort of executive level human being that I had come across who had that really robust function across the enterprise. And that is why I was so excited to talk to you. So yeah, when when I got a hold of that paper, it was like reading everything that I had been trying to sort of like piece together in my head through all of these different conversations. And, and truly the person who had been, there were two people who had been able to really speak about it as articulately and comprehensively. And one of them was Karen McGrain and the other one was Melissa Rock, who helped me a lot with the first edition and then co-authored the second edition with me. 
So reading that white paper was just like blinding light of insight and understanding. And I mean, I, I was real worked up and I read it a lot. So why don't you talk through, okay. uh, why don't you talk through a little bit uh, what, what is in that white paper? Yeah. And I'll do it briefly because I'm thrilled that I think you're, you've offered to finally, we'll find a home on contentstrategy.com and we'll let people, um, I guess, download the PDF. Is that what we'll do? Um it is and, up to you, but I am sure okay. people would love to have that <laughs> because, in their hands because okay. well, even though it's 25 years old, it's so relevant and useful to, you know, address so many of the questions and concerns and and problems and language around the value of content and the, and the complexity of getting content right today. Yeah, I think it's good that we're putting it out there and that I talk about it for just a moment because the couple of times when there have been conversations online on various forums about the origins of content strategy and people will say, well, apparently Mark McCormick wrote this paper in the late 90s, whatever. And, but then people say, well, we were doing that at HP in the early 90s. And they, but it's a, it was a lot of technical content management system stuff and it was a lot of technical Anyway, I really distinguish content strategy from content management, the technical aspects of, of content management. Um, in fact, I sort of don't even cover, I covered a little bit in the white paper, but there are people who were doing some things that they might have called content strategy earlier. And I just want to make sure that, that we say that because people, when you talk about origins of things and who was there and who was in the room when it happened and all of that kind of stuff, people get their ire up a little bit. So just wanted to acknowledge that there were other pioneers as well doing other similar things. But in the white paper, really quickly, it had four major sections. It had an executive a summary just arguing for the primacy of content. Then the second section was the roles of the content strategist. And I broke those down in, into these major roles, advocate, to advocate, to envision, to consult, to strategize, to design, to edit, and to document. I saw the content strategy playing those different roles. Each of those could come with their own process points. But the main process points that I then outlined for content strategy were analyze, organize, define, and synthesize. And within the synthesize process was writing navatorial nomenclature and that sort of thing. And then there were some appendices. And so that's the main outline for the white paper. And so you'll be able to see that. And I wanted to say too quickly that when we published this, every one of those sections had a lot of links. And I finally just this morning made the decision to go through and take out all the links because they were just dead. You know, if you looked at these links, they were like looking at the history of the internet. I don't even think MySpace was around yet, but to Yahoo, early Yahoo pages and personal wealth and different places, that, different things that just don't even exist anymore. So I just wanted to say that really quickly, that that was the main outline of the white paper, but that links are, have all been taken out. Ironically, if people had some degree of content strategy active, those links would not be rotting out there. They'd redirect to somewhere. I'm just saying, I'm just suggesting that if people had had the foresight and read your paper, they would have known better. I know that you have been out of the out of the workforce at Wells Fargo now for years, but from your sort of final years there, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about from a from an experienced leader 
standpoint. What were some of the strengths and challenges that you saw, especially after the advent of mobile apps and the explosion of social media in kind of the late 2000s, early teens? Because content strategy shifted and changed and had to evolve at that time. So talk to me a little bit about how you saw the practice sort of evolve at Wells Fargo in your last years there. Well, I think things got, as you sort of signaled there, incredibly complex with in a multi-platform environment and designing for many different environments all the time. And content management got very, very complicated as well. You know, what would what would stay, what was, it was all that, you know, and I envisioned this in the white paper, what would be the dynamic content, you know, rates and things like that, amortization schedules, all those kinds of things that were super complicated. And then the affordances to content that had to become incredibly interactive. You know, we didn't deal with that in the early, early days. And then just in general, I do think that there's one thing that will never change that if anything just got increasingly complex about customer experience in general through all of my years at Wells Fargo. And I don't think this will change. And I've come to understand it as a kind of a church and state or three, three branches of the government sort of situation, which is that business and technology and experience will always live in constant tension with each other. And that tension is natural, that everyone is going to be advocating, business people will be advocating for their business goals, experienced people will be advocating for the elegance of experience, technical people will be, you know, thinking about the technological lift to do anything to realize these these big dreams and aspirations that the other two areas have. So I don't think that that will ever change. And I think that people who work in customer experience, whether it's content or interaction design or visual design, any of those just have to accept that as being, you know, that's, that's what they're there for. That's why it's called work. You know. <laughs> well, and you know, what's interesting is that, When we talk about enterprise content strategy, and granted, different people talk about it in different ways, and I think of it almost more as leaning towards like a content operations function where content strategy and strategic consideration of content as a business asset might live at some point in my fantasy, here's how things should Mm be. But the common asset between those three uh, entities, the business technology and experience, experience design, is content. Like that is the thing that all three of those entities share and have to manage and they request Mm -hmm. and they structure it and they design it and they create Mm -hmm. it and they govern it over time. And so who better than the content strategist to, you know, continue to sort of show curiosity and literacy across those three entities and continually talk about shared goals, shared aspirations, shared principles around the content that they are prioritizing, that they are serving to their audiences, where, when, how, why, all of the outstanding, you know, questions that you sort of asked and articulated. And, and that to me is sort of the, the, end goal of where content strategy can and should sit 
when it comes to that, in when it comes to content and communication and information in particular. And so I think that the opportunity for a wide variety of content professionals to continually, if not ease the tension, then at least help people connect the dots between those three things is just profound and limitless now and in the years to come. Yeah, well, I I nominate you for president. I mean, I agree with you. People completely. keep nominating me for stuff. I'm going to retire. I'm tired. I don't want to do anything else. I just want to have my podcast and, you know, make well, other it's people well, do things. It's, it's well articulated. And, and I think it sort of brings me to the point that I want to make, you know, almost above all others is that content strategists need to see themselves as leaders. And that starts from within, right? You have to see yourself as a leader. You have a seat at the table that the content is the glue, is the connective glue between all of these different functions. So, yeah. And then, you know, it's funny that may, when you're talking and just this thread of the conversation makes me think about that time at South by Southwest when we were on that panel. Do you remember that? I do. It was you and me and Karen McGrain. And do you remember who else was on the panel? I certainly do not. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> I sat on too oh many panels in South by Southwest. It's all, it all yeah. blurs together for me. Uh, yeah. Well, that was my one and only. And I was so delighted to be there. And I think at that time I was working at Wells Fargo and was managing a customer experience team. And But again, it had my humble roots in content strategy and had been trying to define it. And so you invited me and you talked about that you interviewed me, you know, for before the book and that kind of thing. And um, I will never forget this, that somebody, well, there was a Q&A section and somebody raised their hand and asked the question of me. They said, Mark, do you, I think they said, do you write tags? Remember when tags were the thing and it was HTML, it was like, do you write your own tag, metadata? Do you do your own metadata? And I said, no, I don't. I have staff for that. And a big groan came up from the audience. Do you remember this? I, I, no. I, and I just, it's probably because it was so, it was so like, it was one of those things that that, that it hit me so hard because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get booed off the stage, right? (laughs) Uh, Because they're like, who is this guy? I have staff for that. But I said it, it was, it was, uh, I know it sounded arrogant and it sounded flip, but what I was, I was able to come back and say, what I'm trying to say is that, If you see yourself as a content strategist, as somebody whose job is to write metadata and tagging, you will never rise to the level of leadership that you can. You will never fulfill your true potential as a customer experience leader, because that's what I was trying to say is that you have as much right to be a leader of the customer experience function as anyone. And so I was trying to elevate people's perceptions of the content strategy role. And I still believe that. And if anything, I'm a living example that a poor kid from Idaho State, you know, with an English background can can become a senior vice president at Wells Fargo, you know, of a large customer experience team, because, because I believe that content was legitimate. And that was, it was, the, I believed in the primacy of content. That's what I'm trying to say. 
I think that is the perfect note on which to wrap our conversation today. This has been so amazing and it's just an honor to have you here. I'm so grateful that we've been able to stay in touch over the last 15 years um, and hopefully for years to come. I wonder, tell me just briefly as we wrap things, what is it that you're doing now? Gosh, uh, I retired two years ago. So uh, the only thing that I do that is remotely professional in any way is I do have a executive coaching. So I love coaching middle managers. So I have a small coaching practice. And in addition, I, um, I'm looking at a bunch of paintings that I just completed in a painting workshop in Provincetown and starting to sell some paintings. I'm teaching yoga. I'm writing. I've written a memoir that I'm now working. I'm working on a novel. So I am a busy retired person. <laughs> That's basically I, what and, I'm doing. <laughs> and it does. Yeah, that sounds nothing like retirement to me. That sounds like a, a new phase, a new chapter. And I, I admire that oh, deeply. You. I just think you're a great guy. So Thanks. thank you so um, much you. for joining me today and uh, for sharing your, your stories and your perspectives with our listeners. I just want to be clear that rather than feel sort of in despair, that the challenges and the opportunities that you are talking about from 25 years ago are still the same. I would just like to assure everybody what this means is that we will all have jobs forever. So <laughs> thank well, you largely so much. thanks to you and your work. So this has been an absolute delight and I'm thrilled that the paper is going to find its home on contentstrategy.com. So watch for that too. We're honored to be able to host it there. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks, Christina. Bye for now. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Content Strategy Podcast. Our podcast is brought to you by Brain Traffic, a content strategy services and events company. It's produced by Robert Mills with editing from Bear Value. Our transcripts are from Rev.com. You can find all kinds of episodes at contentstrategy.com and you can learn more about brain traffic at braintraffic.com. See you soon.